Hey, Patrick. Hey, Caesar. How's it going, man? Good, man. Um, I just wanted to have a little conversation about what we've been doing. Um, we kind of had, well, when I pitched the idea for the show, we kind of had the idea of a inaugural trilogy. And um, I definitely wanted to start with these movies. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I feel great. I feel great. You know, I'm, look, I'm looking back on it. I'm like, uh, interesting choice of three movies. Yeah. No Country, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And now Paris, Texas. And they all feel very distinct in their own way. They, yeah. they feel different, but I think mm-hmm. they might feel different than they actually are. Um, I do feel like there's some connective tissue, um, especially with Paris, Texas and TMNT. Um, those two are about isolated characters. All three movies feel very much American, even though Paris, Texas isn't quite, you know. Yeah. It, it, it feels like Americana, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's an American film in a sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's there's other influences for sure. And yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, but it's you know Sam Shepard. Uh, that's you know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, and I feel like Sam Shepard is about you know as American as, as Americana, Sam Farron. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Americana for sure. <laughs> and Paris, Texas does feel Americana, um, despite being directed by a German director. And uh, I was thinking about this earlier and the thing that kind of bummed me out (laughs) is that these are all, I think these are all like guy movies. Yeah. 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 They're all guy movies. Yeah. And like, um, they're all kind of, you know, it's hard to say this about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but they're all kind of, kind of bummers too. Like in a way, you know, like they're all kind of like, yeah, yeah. They're all, they're all pretty dark. So even, (laughs) even Ninja Turtles. (laughs) I don't think, yeah, which I don't think, um, properly represents what I'm want to do with this. Like there, there, it won't always be a downer, but I think these spoke to me and I think, um, I think also there was kind of, um, a shared interest, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 And I think, I think our friendship to me, uh, I knew that you would like Paris, Texas when I told you to go watch this thing. Yeah. And so I think that's why I chose this one to kind of, to kind of tie this trilogy up. I think of it as a trilogy cause like I, I knew these are the three I wanted to do at first. Um, but I, I saw like I had seen this movie a few years ago, but, um, after talking to you, I was like, he, he's going to be into this for sure. He would like this. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's like, it goes back to our friendship and yeah. what we know of each other's tastes and like, you know what I'll like and like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, like, I just knew for sure. I was like, you got to watch this. You're going to love it. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm in the habit of making drunken recommendations to my friends, but like yeah. <laughs> when you know, you know. Yeah. Um, but this is the last thing we are going to record before we publish it. So by the time anyone hears this, that includes you listening right now. Um, this will be months on, maybe a month on, probably about a month on. And we'll, we'll have been episode, episode three, or, uh, are you going to maybe put this at the beginning of, uh, no, it's going to go in order. So this will be episode three. Okay. So like I said, we'll have, we'll be probably six or seven episodes deep by the time anyone hears this. And I just wanted to have a little time capsule. Have a little check-in. Yeah. Be like, see what, see what it's been so far. Exactly. Um, it's been fun. And like, um, and for, I guess the people listening is what we do is like, we pick the movie, we watch it and um, do a little research and, uh, and bandy back and forth a little bit before we record. Yeah. Most of this, most of the discussion, like what you're hearing is basically just what we kind of uncover here together, 
Yeah, which is something we kind of did anyway. You yeah. know, I think like the dynamic of our relationship is that you're a person who has a lot of information, and <laughs> and like I'm just kind of like uh, curious, mm. <laughs> and like I think uh, this is kind of where we meet. You know, because we yeah. both uh, I love. We both love movies, I think. Right. Yeah. That's where we our interests overlap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. A lot of our hangouts is uh, movie references. <laughs> yeah. You know, we just we just quote movies. Like I know you'll know where it's from. Yeah. And, like exactly. Yeah. And it's it's a good time. And um. And and the point of the show is kind of to feel like a com- casual conversation, for more casual film goers. Um. To what I keep on repeating is to create points of access for people who won't necessarily see a movie like we do. Yeah. And, um, it's inspired by conversations that I've had with friends, that I've had with my fiance, um, people who aren't necessarily cinephiles, they see films and they understand them in certain ways. And it might not be in a way that's like widely talked about. And it just like makes things ever more interesting for me, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what inspired this, um, that, that you know, you you just hear t- people talk uh, about a movie, and and maybe it's just they see it in a way that you didn't, right? And or they you know they catch things that you didn't, or you know that didn't even occur to you to see it that way. And I think that makes makes movies fun, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, like um, uh, like you've offered up some observations about movies before where I was like, wow, it didn't even occur to me. Exactly. But it, it enriches it. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like, same here. Because it's there. As soon yeah. as you point it out, it's like, oh yeah, that is there. Yeah. Wow, and, that's amazing. And I think our, our minds, you know, just as individual human beings work in such unique ways that of course things are going to mean different things to everybody. And this is kind of to, to crack that open. And after this, you know, I have a couple guests lined up that we can talk to to just, you know, it, deep in that nice i hope that you know um uh, you know it's probably going to be our friends at first that are listening to this but i hope they get into the conversation and um you know we were able to just expand this thing you know and talk about this and you know have fun and and i hope it feels inviting to people who you know aren't cinephiles i hope yeah i just hope it feels inviting and i hope it feels fun and i hope it feels interesting and entertaining and um Sounds great. Let's uh, let's get started. Yeah, let's do it. Well, how come you got a picture of a vacant lot in Paris, Texas? It's mine. I know that, but how come you got it? I, I purchased it in the mail a long time ago. You bought a picture of a vacant lot in the mail? No, I bought the land. Oh, you bought that lot? Yes. Oh, let me see it again. There's nothing on it. (laughs) Empty. Well, why in hell would you want to buy a vacant lot in Paris, Texas, for Christ's sake? Um. I forgot. This is Film Slob. Welcome to the show. So today we're talking about Paris, Texas from 1984. And um, I think this movie is a bona fide masterpiece. (laughs) Um, It's something that goes way back. It's not, I mean, I I don't think it's in contemporary conversation. I think No Country is kind of a contemporary film. TMNT is kind of a movie that's underappreciated, as we said. But I mean, I want to talk about this film because this, this film has been long talked about. And um, 
And there's no equivocation in that statement that you made. Like, this is a bona fide masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. On our TMNT episode, you're like, I think this is a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little nervous about yeah. it, but like... I'm going to dip my toe in the water, <laughs> see if people Yeah, see agree. who bites. Yeah. yeah, I think this one... I mean, like, I know this one's a bona fide masterpiece. I mean, when I want to go see it, uh, it was playing at the Palace Theater in downtown LA. I came to this movie late, for sure. And that's also new for us, because I think we have a very deep familiarity with the first two films that we did. Yeah. No country. We know very well. TMNT since childhood. This one, we both came very late. Like I said, I, uh, I recommended this one to you. Um, yeah, and just you, a couple of years ago and, and I watched it then. And um, yeah, since then, you know, that, you know, and it affected me you yeah. know, when I watched it and you were, you were right that I would like it. Yeah. Um, I'm not as familiar with this movie as I am No Country and TMNT. Same. Um, I've only seen it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And I, I, I was deeply affected by it too. I mean, I think there is... Um, and by the way, did you know like I was going through a breakup when you... I had no had, idea. When you sent me this recommendation. No, I had... If I did... If I was I like, knew. damn, Caesar's like some kind of sadistic <laughs> yeah. freak. Like, what's he doing to me? No, that would have been a pretty savage mood. Like, <laughs> if I would have known, I wouldn't have. Because I know, like, if I had watched this while I was going through a breakup, I, <laughs> I'd been like, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you don't know it's a movie about a breakup until... You're deep in. Yeah. You know, um, but oddly on from from Harry Dean Stanton's performance, you Uh know, like he's he's going through something. Yeah. And if you're if you're like going through a breakup, especially a painful one. Yeah, um, and you see this character. You know, you don't even know the backstory. Wandering the through yeah. this desert, like, like I were... feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just speaks to your soul like yeah. instant star. Yeah. Um, tell me about that. Like, um, what was oh, happening? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was just a. It was a. It was a particularly bad breakup. Yeah. And uh, I got this movie recommendation from you, and I was like, "All right, if Caesar recommends it, mm-hmm. it's good." You know. Um, so I watch it and, um, I'm just like, I don't know the feeling I, it was like, this is, how does, how did, how did he capture it so well? Like that yes. the feeling, you know, yeah. like of something that's important to you just bursting into flames and, you know, like it's gone and, uh, yeah. um, and, and that's, you know, there's literal, there's a, there's a. You know, we'll we'll probably talk about there it. Is, yeah. You know, there's literal flames. Yeah. You know, at the end of this story, and and that's the thing about this yeah. movie that it's it, it's visceral. Yeah. Uh, like beyond a doubt, it's visceral. You feel it. You know, this goes to uh, uh, when when I talk about movies that hit you in the gut. You know, I've brought that up before. This movie is definitely a gut puncher. It's visceral, but it's it, it's also it, there's so much like uh there's a literal there's there's just like so many literal things in it. You know, like. Um, as far as like color, as, as far as composition, um, it's a very linear story. Uh, it, it, it just, it doesn't fuck around, but also it's just saying so many more things than you can process in one viewing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, when I first saw this, like I said, it was at the Palace Theater and Harry Dean Stanton was there. He showed up and he oh. talked to the... Was, and was there like a Q&A or something? Uh, it was supposed to be, uh-huh. but he said almost nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you sent me an interview with Harry yeah. Dean Stanton yeah. a couple of days ago. Yeah. And like it took him like three minutes to... 
say anything yeah. substantial. And it was like, like uh, yeah. are they holding a gun to your head to be here? Like, why are you here? Yeah, he just, he has like a very like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. He feels like that, and like I had no idea because he can be such a warm character. He's a great, well, he was a great character actor. He's passed since. Um, he's a treasure for sure. He's an American treasure. Yeah, and he's a face you recognize. He's you a know? face like you recognize. If, if you, um, he's a that guy for for many people. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and I can't, I can't really pinpoint him. I mean, is this is this is one of his only lead roles, right? I, I believe it's his only lead role. Yeah. Um, which is. Is insane because he he was acting up until the day he died and he never got another lead role. Yeah, he you know this. I was looking at his IMDb page. Yeah. He's got like two hundred acting yeah. credits. Yeah, he, um, so he's been working. Yeah, he was on fire. He had never stopped. Period of forty, fifty years, and he just like that. never yeah. got another chance. He worked yeah. with some of the best in the like Vim Vendors and Sam Shepard. Like to work with those two, you think like you would just have every opportunity after that. Yeah, and but he, I mean after this move, like he's he's a talent. Man, like yeah, he's he, a he, he could be a leading man. I mean, he was amazing. In that. Yeah, for sure. But I think um, I I think he just wasn't what people were looking for. I think yeah. I think there was a run. He was a little late because I think there was a a run of ugly leading men mm. <laughs> in the seventies, <laughs> and this movie's in eighty four. Oh, like missed we had, the boat. Yeah, we had Peter yeah. Falk who was Columbo, and then we had Elliot Gould. Um, who was in Altman movies in the 70s. And, like, these were not traditionally handsome men, but they were getting lead roles. And so in the 70s, like, that was a thing where you can be not handsome and people would still love you. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's the way, like, Woody Allen was, like, a sex symbol, you know? Right, it's just right. like, what the fuck? Like, I think people were kind of over that in the mid to late 80s, and they just wanted, like, you know, people who look good on screen. And I think he was kind of too late to this party, but he should be in everything. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so I guess the casting choice to linger on Harry Dean Stanton for a second. Uh, the the casting choice for him in this for this role. Yeah. Um, part of that's got to be like this age difference between yes Travis and Jane. Yes. Right. Um, which is um, you know something we can talk about more later. Like, I mean, does, uh, does this movie even get made? We can like, talk about that now. Yeah, like, I don't, like, if you want to, I sure, don't know if, yeah. it, if it's stepping on anything you have later. Um, yeah, I mean, so. Jane is played by uh, Nastasia Kinski. Yeah, Nastasia Kinski. Who's um, gorgeous. And she, she's, yeah, amazingly beautiful. And yeah. She's, she's young. I think she's actually like 23 years old when this movie comes yeah. out. Like, she's super young. Yeah. Um, and Harry Dean Stanton is in his 50s. I think he's in his 50s. Yeah. Uh, when this movie comes out. Um, and that's very much part of the story, you know, that there, there's this huge age difference between them. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, just like culturally, like, does that movie, like, like, does that movie get made nowadays? Like that's, it's, I uh, mean, maybe not until the, like the very recent present, mm-hmm. but I think that's always been a conversation like how, uh, people get paired, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know why, but this is the first thing that comes to mind, like Richard Gere and Winona Ryder in Autumn in New York. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, there is yeah. like a like a huge gap between them. Um, but that happens over and over again in Hollywood, you'll see. You know, and um it, it it's it's kind of a weird subject to touch on because I I think there's some weird shit going on as far as like uh societally, like how we're programmed you know, like yeah, the, the way men yeah. are programmed to just be attracted to younger women and Hollywood totally like 
plays into these expectations in a right. way. And Hollywood was kind of like a microcosm of that too. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you've got Roman Polanski. And like, yeah. You know, yeah. You like, got, yeah, you got that. And then you got, uh, I mean, a famous couple like Michael Douglas, Catherine Zeta Jones. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it's normal. And I, I, I think that's like kind of just like in our psyche as Americans, you know, that's like, that's something in there. Yeah. Um, so do you think that's like, they're like pressing on that in this movie. They, like, they they are definitely kind of deconstructing that in this mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. This is this is something. Um, yeah, because it's like not an unimportant detail to the plot. It, yeah, you know, they that, they they definitely touch on it, and I think Vim Vendors, I think it was Vim Vendors who was kind of against casting Harry Dean because he was older. Mm, um, yeah. And so I was Sam Shepard because I know Sam Shepard yes. was like involved in the casting, and I think yeah. he was actually considered for the main role. Yes, yeah, um, Sam Shepard was considered. Yeah, um, but he had Harry Dean in mind, and he 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 was the one that kind of rallied behind getting Harry Dean in this role. And by the way, for context, Sam Shepard wrote the screenplay. Sam <laughs> Shepard wrote the sc- screenplay, and Sam Shepard is also like he, he's he's a rock star screenwriter or a playwright yeah. and screenwriter. And he's 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 really good looking. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of something that's undeniable too. It would have changed things. I think. He, yeah, because yeah. like Harry Dean Stanton's, he's not he's not a hideous man. Yeah. Like he's he's a he's a good looking guy, but yeah, he's not he's, he's not he's he's, he's a, not like a leading man. Yeah, good like looks, Harry Dean. You know? Like yeah, like uh, handsome is the best he would get. You yeah, know? yeah, on a good day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like oh, he's handsome. Like it, it's with like people tell you when uh, they don't think you're you're hot or <laughs> right, right. Yeah, handsome is the best he would get on a good day. I, um, I think on the other hand, Sam Shepard is just someone. Who's just like he's a stone cold fox. Like uh, Sam Shepard is a good looking man, you know. He has that like shoulder length, blonde hair. He has a good phys- physique, and he was just like a bohemian, you know. Um, he dated Patti Smith for a short time in the '60s, and they were just like this rock star couple. And um, although Sam Shepard, throughout his career, will push back on this idea that he's like uh, that type, mm-hmm. or that he's like trying to give off. A, a, a certain idea about who he is, but if you if but you, he can't help it if you follow like, the, the yeah. trajectory and like follow his career, he's totally he's trying to be that person. He's the rock star playwright. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's by very intentional design too. Um, he, he he talks a lot about being in his place. He he's about like being the outsider and not fitting in. And, you know, it's just this idea of this man from the West, you know, who's from right. like, yeah, these uh, okay. deserty places. But he's from Duarte, California. And that's, that's Los Angeles County. Like, it's like the outskirts of Los Angeles County, but he's not too far away from being like. So you think he kind of romanticized this frontier figure a little bit, you know, like. Yeah. He, cowboy. He definitely does. Yeah. And um, in interviews, he said, like, I wasn't trying, you know, like, oh, I just, I, I just wrote these plays because I didn't have anything else to do, which mm. is, I, I think, BS because he. He was an actor. He want like this is a man who wanted attention. He wanted to be seen. Like this is a, a he's a leading man. I, it, I he knew how good looking was. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, I I think it would be. I I think that's kind of like, the fun part of deconstructing his character. Right, right. Is uh, he was, no doubt talented, but also, I mean, how hard do you have when you look that good? Um, so another uh, stray bit of trivia. Um. The screenplay was co-written by L.M. Kit Carson, mm-hmm. who is uh, Hunter's dad. 
the, the the kid in the movie. Oh, okay. Hunter, Hunter's dad, L.M. Kit Carson, uh, yeah. helped. Uh, write oh, because the, the kid was Hunter Hunter Carson. Yeah, Hunter Carson. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Did not see that. Cool. Yeah, because he's not credited, is he? Uh, I I think yeah, maybe not on the on the credits on the film. Yeah, but, uh, on the internet you can see that. Yeah, he was involved on that. But yeah, and and uh, uh, and in that interview that you sent over um, with Harry Dean Harry Dean Stanton, yeah. talking about how he got the role, why he was, you know, why he was selected for it. Uh, I think it was in that interview where they mentioned Sam Shepard was being considered for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Hunter was bored. Yeah, and that Hunter, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was like the chemistry that, uh, oh, it, I, it, was, it was Stanton who said that, like, if I'm going to do this, like, my on-screen son is going to be somebody I know. Or, yeah. But like, I have to know them and have some chemistry with them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, that makes me wonder if Hunter was chosen because he knew uh, Stanton already or, or, or something. It could be. Yeah. Um, I, I, the interviewer kept on asking, do you have, like, a familiarity with him? And he just, like, <laughs> right. he yeah. would just, like, roll over the question. Right. He's yeah. like, yeah, but he basically said, like, uh, the, the the actor, Hunter Carson, he's like, oh, he was just, like, really, he read the script. He's like, this is really boring. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, like, the kid started interviewing Harry Dean Stanton, like, you know, like, oh, like be funny or something. Right, right. Oh, yeah. I dare you yeah. to pour this water on your head. Yeah. yeah that part. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Harry Dean's like, all right. Yeah. That was like the moment he knew, like, we could, we'll be good together. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, as far as this movie goes, um, and filling out the context around this movie, I think this is a little different than what we've gone over before. Because um, there were definitely things happening. And I think you have something to say about that, but, um, I mean, I mean, Reagan was in the white house and Mm, 1984. Yeah. Um, and I saw this video on YouTube. It was like a video essay talking about this movie and there's plenty of them about this movie. Um, some misguided, some a little better. Um, but there's this movie talking about, or there's this video on YouTube discussing, Reagan era politicking and how Reagan was kind of banking off nostalgia. Mm. Like that was Reagan's whole thing, like getting back to the old days, like, like, uh, yeah. And Trump kind of recycled some of that. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And which is kind of funny. Like it's like a, yeah, it's, it's like the incubator for mega, you know? Right. Which is really interesting. Right. Cause Um, like, um, yeah, like um, among conservatives, Reagan's like, the gold standard, I guess, of yeah. the 20th century and like exactly presidents. And yes, I buy that angle where this movie is talking about nostalgia, but only, only by kind of like peripherally, this movie is sort of discussing nostalgia, but I think, um, not in a specific sense, but in a sense that, uh, nostalgia is only a representation of something. Yeah. And it's not the real thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's at the heart of this movie, I think. Yeah, and uh, and a quote from Hunter comes to mind uh, when they see the home movie. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, how old is Hunter? He's like eight, he's seven or something yeah. in this movie. And uh, says something, like a lot of the amazingly profound things that are said are said by Hunter in this movie. Yeah, I mean. And, yeah, he says, he says uh, you know, that that's not my mom. That's just, that's who she was three years ago. Loves her. How would I know that then too? I think he does. 
How can you tell? Well, the way he looked at her. You mean when you saw her in the movie? Yeah, but that's not her. What do you mean? That's only her in a movie. A long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Um, so he's kind of ruminating on this idea of representation and nostalgia. And I understand that's where the nostalgia angle comes from. But I think this movie is talking about more than nostalgia. Yeah, and, and what Hunter says, says there in that scene is like a lesson that people are learning all the time. You know, like yeah. yearning for something in the past is not not useful for you. You know, it's like... Yeah, it's, it's really not, not helpful. Yeah, and I, I think um, we get from that is that he understands something that Travis doesn't, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And that... that that wasn't real. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know the, the the fact. And if I mean, if it was, it's not relevant anymore. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, as far as like when on the timeline when this movie takes place, or at least the making of this movie, the production of this movie, it comes on the heels of what uh, is known as Sam Shepard's family trilogy, and um, this is three plays, and. I think the last one was in 1980. Um, is uh, Buried Child one of these? Buried Child is one yeah. of them. Uh, and he got, so this is like, I was doing a little, like, I think you're going to have a little bit more to say on, on uh, Sam Shepard. Yeah. Uh, but um, is that the one that like kind of put him on the map? Like, yeah. I, I want to say he won a, a Pulitzer. A, um, and he has three of them. Uh, one is, uh, well, the last one was True West, which I think might be his most famous play. And then you have a uh, class uh, struggle of the starving class and Barry Child, and and this movie comes on the hills of all of those. Um, and there are differences in style for sure. I mean, because this is a screenplay, you have to do something different on stage where you kind of like speak directly to what's uh, to themes. Um, but they all have a few things in common, and one of them is that. Uh, there is always a character in each of these plays who disappears and comes back and is unrecognizable. And maybe not unrecognizable, but who has changed. Like in True West, it's about two brothers, and the whole play is about two brothers. And one of the brothers is this guy, much like uh, Travis in Paris, Texas, who disappears, and he talks about like dog fights and stuff like that, you know? And, which I think is like an interesting um, kind of connection to Cormac, who, who has this like romanticized, well, not romanticized, but it sort of romanticized in a dark way, you know, like yeah. he has this idea of what Mexico is. Right. right. Yeah. And, yeah. Cause his characters who like go on that pilgrimage or yes, whatever, you yes. know, like they go into Mexico, uh, uh, like in all the pretty horses, yeah. Grady Cole, like all of the ranches are going out of business in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, there's some ranches down in Mexico that still live the way we live you know, 20 years ago, yeah. you know, so I'm going to go down there and, and like, he's, yeah, it's like this idealized version of life that he yeah. tries to go get. Yeah. You know? There's definitely that. I think there might be, it could be de- deconstructed in a more like problematic way where it's just like, this is exoticism. Yeah. And, yeah. and you see this, um, I, Sam Shepard was talks about Mexico, um, it's something he addresses, you know, like going down there and he says, 
I think this is actual dialogue from the play. He's like, it's a place where you're a stranger, but everyone's a stranger. Like, um, even Mexicans are strangers in Mexico, you know, like, uh, there's like no, there's like no common (laughs) language, you know, (laughs) like, uh, which I think is kind of definitely an outsider perspective, you know? Um, but it is a thing. Well, oh, that's interesting. So the char- there's characters in the family trilogy, in Sam Shepard's ch- family trilogy, that do the same thing, that they go to Pretty Mexico. Pretty similar- like, similarly. I, yeah. um, there, there is definitely, I can't put it, but there are definitely characters who disappear to Mexico in Sam Shepard's plays. And they come back changed. And they come back changed. Or there's just characters who disappear. Like they're no longer part of the family and they come back and they're just different people, you know? That's interesting. Or um, yeah. it's more about like isolation and being lost and Sam Sam Shepard talks about like being marginalized, but also desperately trying to be part of the whole mm-hmm. and w- w- which is interesting ge- geographically as far as Duarte, because it is LA County, but yeah, it is in the outskirts and that's very, it's very easy to feel like a part in this city because of uh, like, it's so sprawled out, you know? And I think that plays a lot into his writing and about like feeling like an outsider, but wanting to be part of the whole and it's about like reintegration or like trying to be trying to be a person again and trying to interact with this with i guess society in a sense yeah but he's he's very interested in that and he's very interested in isolation and another thing is uh the presence of the father there's always like a there's always like a patriarchal presence in his plays and uh, more often than not they're they were involved in a war and they're having problems because of that. And this is also Sam, something Sam Shepard has talked about directly, is that he grew up in a time when men were coming back from the war. Yeah. And and he, I can't remember exactly, but to paraphrase, he said they had a sickness and they tried to cure this sickness with alcohol and the women in their lives had the job of cleaning up after them. And, yeah. yeah and, and just kind of suffered the collateral get, yeah, of getting that getting shit on. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. 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 Um, did Shepard write these in the seven, late 70s, early 80s? Yeah, 70s. Like yeah. 70s? Yeah, I think the last one was in 1980. Yeah, I just looked up Cormac's uh, Border Trilogy because it's like, it's the parallels are so remarkable. Yeah, like, I think uh, it's worth the touching on for sure. Yeah, he, uh, so Cormac published um, All the Pretty Horses, The Crossing, and Cities of the Plain in the uh, early 90s. So uh, 1992 to 1998, those three books. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm curious to know now if uh, Cormac has a uh, Sam Shepard uh, influence. Um, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they knew each other. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think there's like a, a lot of similarities. I think they're both in the canon of Americana for sure. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it's and it's uh, you know it's weird. Like maybe they didn't influence each other, or um, but they're both kind of touching on this like end of the frontier era yeah. of American history mm-hmm. and the aftermath of it. You yeah, because yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think it's important to distinguish them from people who, um, who kind of, uh, romanticize that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't think these two writers are necessarily doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Although like in horses and I don't know, we're probably digressing. Uh, it's okay. But, um, in, in, uh, all the pretty horses, John Grady does romanticize that, like, cattle rustler frontiersman Mm -hmm. lifestyle you know and he's only 16 so he like what is what does he know he's a kid exactly and i think it's part of his character that he's so young that he would romanticize that yeah um i think it's cormac playing into his ignorance Mm. as a character you know Mm. 
yeah, but that character is so like morally stout. Yeah. You know, you know, like I think in one of the first pages, it's like, uh, he, he will always be for the ardent hearted and will never be otherwise, you know? It's yeah. Like, he's like, like he wants, like he, he like yearns for like that strong. Which I think Cormac might contribute to like a, a certain, uh, degree of naivete. Like, mm-hmm. Morality is tied to naivete. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah, and I think he he kind of. I think Sam Shepard talks about the same thing, but in no country, I think, I don't think to be moral is to be like it, it, it's not the smartest decision. You know, right, right. Yeah, yeah the characters pay for it. Yeah, and like um, and that's what happens to Grady in uh, all the pretty horses. Like, um, calamity befalls him. Yeah. 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 And I think in, in Shepard's trilogy, his family trilogy, I think morality is a very malleable thing. Um I don't think there's like a a, a moral center to those plays. And um I I think it's more about mood and and, and texture. And um in in the book uh Seven Plays with Sam Shepard, uh Richard Gilman, who's the editor, kind of brought everything together, said that Shepard's work evades exegesis, which is a new word for me, but it, it means a, a, a critical uh, response in a way. A, a critical, I love it. I'm going to start using it. Yeah, exegesis. It's People a great word. People are going to think I'm so smart. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> nobody uses the fucking word, but it's so good. Exegesis. Exegesis, yeah. It's a critical interpretation of something. Nice. Um, he said that Shepard's work kind of evades that. And um, I think that's very true in a sense. That, um, like... Shepard is mainly about building characters and those characters just by the way they act kind of fills in the blanks for you. It kind of, that gives you the story, you know, you get, you get, you get both a past and a future with that. You, you, because one, um, you begin asking questions like, where do these characters come from? And two, you kind of understand like the moves you're going to make next because you know these characters so well. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. They become predictable in a way. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And um, they're so bound to, to what they are. It's kind of tragic in a sense. Yeah. 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 And it's like the, it's familiarity too. Like predictable is also familiar. And so yes. you get a little more connected. Yeah, them. exactly. Yeah. It brings you into the characters, but it also, it, it, it just connects you to their, like their flaws. And um, I mean, I think we, Maybe we're talking too much about this, yeah. but that's like Lou Allen. Well, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, any 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 chance uh, I can loop Cormac McCarthy into the conversation? Like, we're gonna do much it much more. This engaged. is gonna happen yeah. more and more. <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna be watching. I don't know, episode fifty-seven of Film Slobs. Like, <laughs> she's all that or whatever. And it's like, remember in Blood Meridian when? <laughs> and honestly, I can't fucking wait. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think. We also need to talk about Vim Vendors. I don't, honestly, I don't know much about Vim Vendors. Me neither. He's kind of a taciturn character. Just German director. German director. Um, taciturn as Germans are. Um, and he he is like a, a, just like a deeply thoughtful person. You can tell it's just by looking at him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's watched any videos or anything of him, but. No. I mean, he just looks like a fucking artist. Like yeah. he has this really great coiffed hair. Like it's like elegantly disheveled and yeah. he has like these little round glasses, like these frames and, and be like before he answers anything, he, you could just see him like, Oh, he's working on it. Yeah. He's like, he'll go into thought. Like yeah. he doesn't rush a thing. 
like he, they'll ask him the simplest question. Sounds a little bit like Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there there is an intersection of like three men coming together in this movie: mm-hmm. uh, Shepard, Stanton, and Vendors. And and I think that's why this is like an unmistakably like dude movie because mm. like it's three dudes coming together, and I think they all have similar things in their mind. Um, Vendors seems more. Um, he's just thoughtful in a sense of. Of the moment. Vendors is, he is obsessed with the moment. He was a photographer before he was a filmmaker. And he talks so much about capturing a moment. And he talks about what's in the frame and that's all that matters. He's like, this is, this is why photography is so great because you get what's in the frame and whatever's not in the frame doesn't matter because this is the moment you caught. This is the place you caught it at. It's like, this is the only thing that matters. And I think um, that comes into that comes into working in Paris, Texas about mm. memory and yeah, you know, the yeah. things that are outside of the frame and the things you don't remember and nostalgia in a way, for sure. Um, you just kind of take these snapshots of things that happened to you. And vendors is also very interested in the internal lives of characters. And he, he's, he's also like very, he's on the nose a little bit, but in a, in a way that's not, you don't roll your eyes at it, you know, it's not overdoing it. But as you see in this movie, and he does this in all his movies, I don't know if you've seen any other ones, but where he uses like really dramatic color, like a scene will be completely green or completely mm, red. Yeah. And um, the, the red kind of punched me in the face a couple of times in this movie. Yes, exactly. Like, what is he doing with this red? Yeah. You know? And my theory is yeah. that he's prescribing no specific meaning to any of these colors. But he's just kind of like, this is going to make you feel something, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is maybe ignorance, but I think he's just putting those colors boldly out there. He doesn't in all of his movie or in his color movies because he does a black and white movies even after this. Mm. Um, but I think he's just like betting on that to make you feel something. And, yeah. and there's there, I, I did watch a few videos on YouTube about what the colors mean. And somebody kind of theorize that like the color green in Paris, Texas means reality and that's reality creeping into Travis's life. And oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But, and, and there's a scene when uh, Walt finds Travis yeah. uh, out in, uh, I think it's Texas. Um, at the gas uh, station. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's after the gas station, oh, okay. after the doctor. Yeah. Um, Travis pulls up. No, Walt pulls up on Travis in a car, gets out of the car and there's just this beautiful green backdrop on Walt. Yeah. And that would oh, tie in. Yeah. That's it. You know, cause yeah. like Walt is reality intruding, you know, like, uh, cause Travis, <laughs> Travis has been yeah. walking that makes through sense. the desert for four years or yeah. whatever, you know, you learn, you know, you learn in pieces. Yeah. Uh, Travis has been gone for four years. You, you actually know, like the night he had that catastrophic fight with his wife yeah. and like the, the trailer burned down. Oh, he he like ran. Yeah, you know, he which just, you don't he, learn till at the, the very, very end, end. You learn that. Yeah, and he ran for five nights. He said, "Yeah, and he just ran and ran and ran." And and it dawns on you that that's when he's like he has been wandering the desert for four years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when so circle back is like Walt. What in that scene with mm-hmm. the green backdrop? Yeah, you know, like I'm kind of supportive of this idea that yeah, that green I mean, is reality. Intriguing. I mean, yes, I, yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah. Also, there's a couple times it happens early on when like the the doctor or whatever is talking to him. Like Harry Dean's laying on the bed, Travis is he's laying on on, on whatever um, table, 
and the doctor's looking at him, the scene is completely green. Like there's green light. I mean, I mean like more than like verdant backgrounds, like there's just green light. Um, when Walt is like stopping at the gas station, looking at the map, talking on the phone, the light is green in that scene. Mm. And I guess it would connect because that's Walt coming with like reality, you yeah, know? Yeah, because he's coming to bring Travis back. So, yeah. okay, we can get behind this theory. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's kind of, I, I think there's a couple scenes that kind of throw me off from that. And it's when Travis is sitting in Walt's backyard and he has the binoculars and he's looking at planes. The light is green. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's green. It's got to be green. It's green or red. Anyway, I think it's green, but... I don't know. Like, is, is that reality? Or I, to me, that scene is like Walt thinking about running away again, you know? Like, yeah, it, he's yeah. like, like he has this like constant thought of fleeing on his mind. And he's got all the shoes. Is that the, what the shoes are? You know, like, okay. Shoes no. are for running. Like, does, like he's cleaning the whole family's shoes. He's I, got lined okay. Up on this wall. To me, the shoes, and this is, this is kind of background information. To me, the shoes are, um, it's, it's discipline from the military about polishing shoes. Oh, and this is yeah, like, a, yeah. we, we don't get a lot of this. And if we, and if you know a bit about Shepard, Shepard, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That this is like background character information. Like, um, he gets up early. He's, he shines shoes. Um, he's just like, has this discipline, you know? Uh, and that probably from the military. And if, if you can, you know, you get into that background about Shepard being obsessed with fathers coming back to the military using alcohol, you get the idea that maybe maybe Travis was an alcoholic. You know, you, you yeah. as soon as he runs into trouble, like crisis, like he right. starts drinking in this right. movie. You know, yeah, yeah, and and that's uh, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half in or whatever. Um, it, he finds Jane. They find they find Jane. Yeah, Him, Travis and and Hunter find Jane. Yeah, and he uh, can't look at her. Like like you know, like he turns around. Is that is that right? Am I remembering the scene right? He like turns around and talks to her a little bit. And that's when he tells her the whole story. I think that's yeah. the second time. The second time he, is when he, he, he tells her the whole story. Yeah. And but he turns first, around. Yeah. The first, no, the first time I think is when he can't look at her and mm. then they actually get into a little bit of a fight. I mean, like she doesn't know it's Travis. Yeah. But Travis is like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing here? Like, yeah. are you, you can already, you, you can already see it. Like yeah, how the relationship home, works. Do you go home with some of these guys. You know, yeah. like he's like, you can see the jealousy. He's jealous. Yeah. You can see the jealousy immediately. Yeah. And so if you put all these pieces together, yeah. like the kind of bits of background information yeah. that we get, you can, un- you know what happened. He was probably that. an alcoholic. Yeah. He was probably jealous. Um, yeah. And he, like, he was just not a great partner. Yeah. So, uh, and like to go back to like the alcoholism yeah. is, um, you don't see him drink. Once you, I mean, you do like yeah. af- after that, and he drinks after heavy, that, yeah. and he drinks heavily, and yeah. Hunter is like disappointed in him. He's like, "What are you doing? You know, like I'm, I'm gonna go wait in the car." Yeah, uh, yeah. The seven year old kid. Yeah, he's like, know? "It stinks." Like, yeah, <laughs> it stinks. Why would you drink that? Yeah, you know. And then uh, at that night, and then this is a, a topic that we there's probably a lot to be discussed on this topic, but like uh, how he's like he's drunk on the couch and he's talking to Hunter. About, yes. About his mom. Yes, we're going to get to that because I yeah. think that movie, or, or I think that scene tells you what the movie's about. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that I, and what I love about this movie is that it doesn't shy away from telling what it's about. Like, it doesn't want you to guess. Yeah. Like, it straight up tells you. And like, and I think in every scene, like, but I think it, it does it in such a masterful way that you could miss it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think this movie is opaque. I think it's so transparent that you see right through it almost, yeah. you know, that you would, you know, if, um, you know uh, what, what's the saying like you, the, the forest from the trees or whatever right right yeah i think right. like it's so transparent because it's given you a lot of trees you know and yeah the, like like so this this scene that we're talking about that tells you what this movie is about 
is a good to, like hour and a half in, hour and forty five minutes. Yeah, in, it's deep in know? there. And uh, like the the trees I'm talking about is Travis wandering through the desert. He doesn't speak a word until thirty minutes in, something like that. Forty five minutes in. Yeah. And like, how are you gonna pick up what this movie is is about based based on this? Yeah, you know, it's all feeling. You know, it's like it is all just, feeling. Yeah, but it's it, it, it's it's feeling they clearly wanted you to feel mm-hmm. like it, it it's well curated feeling. You know, in yeah. in a sense, like they are pulling like all these strings, but it's very purposeful. In a sense, like I I, I don't think there's anything accidental about the way this movie makes you feel. And, and and with the music and the wandering, like it makes you feel nostalgic for something, but you're not even sure what you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. You see him wandering, and he, 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 these characters are in thought, and they're very pensive, and you're not even sure what's going on. And I think, I, I maybe for the probably the first twenty minutes, Travis is silent, and then we get the first conversation that they have. Travis, do you remember your little boy? Well, he's with us. He's been living with Dan and me ever since you disappeared. We didn't know what else to do, so we just kept him. One day, he was just standing at the door. All he could tell us was that someone brought him there in a car. He didn't know what had happened to you or Jane. So we tried everything we could think of to find you or Jane. Try to locate her, she'd vanished too. We didn't know what else to do. Travis, I don't know what kind of trouble you got into. I don't know what happened. But damn it, I'm your brother, man. You can talk to me. Tired of doing all the talk. So you get that music, and immediately, like this could easily be a, a, like a spoken word folk song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is playing into I'm like your brother, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like uh, the it's it's playing into like I guess the nostalgia angle, mm-hmm. but also like Americana, and um, I think this movie kind of speaks in motifs. Um, you know, and, and there's like recurring images and, um, in this scene specifically, like, uh, there, there's like, there's a guy with like, just like this cowboy hat sitting behind Travis. Yeah. You know? Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. But there is the way they're framed. Yeah. Um, it, it's just like this, this one guy in a cowboy hat sitting behind Travis, but in, in, in back of wall, it's like these two, two people talking, you yeah. know? So you, when you mentioned the folk song thing, it kind of sounds like one of those like Elvis, old Elvis songs, like the spoken word interludes. Yeah. Know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much to say about that too. Yeah. <laughs> We're both thinking about Malcolm Gladwell right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, parapraxis. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of playing off that like Americana nostalgia angle and how this might be a folk song, but this is real shit. Like mm-hmm. this is a man who disappeared on his kid and this kid is abandoned and he starts crying, you know? Yeah. You see, uh, Harry Dean Stanton's eyes welling up yeah. as, you know, and so in, in that scene, it's, uh, that's Dean Stockwell is playing, uh, Walt. Dean Stockwell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
the only other thing I know him from is Quantum Leap. Remember, remember that? I do remember that. I actually had like a, a teacher in the third grade that would show episodes of that oh, every now and then, like on rainy days. Best third grade class ever. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah. Shout out Mr. Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like I said, this movie is like kind of told in motifs. And I think a couple of them are like the train, the passing train. Mm. If if you watch this, there's trains that are like there's trains and there's airplanes and they're just like always passing through the frame and I think that uh, is just like playing into Travis's like flightiness mm-hmm. in a way. Um, yeah, and he's walking on railroad tracks at, at a certain point. Yeah, 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 and they just go on to the distance. And those those yeah. those scenes are framed in such a way where you just get his yearning to like, yeah, get away, you know. And yeah, and and like there was something that like I observed as something that like is was noteworthy is like the way he's walking through the desert. Uh-huh. He's not wandering. You know, like he's walking with purpose. He, yeah, he's walking with purpose. Yeah. He's like walking deliberately. Yeah, and uh, so he's looking for something. Yeah, he is yeah. looking for something, and I think that something doesn't exist. And I think that's the weight of the father that hangs over these two characters, Travis and Walt. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a presence of a father that's, n- it's not blatantly addressed, but he's definitely in this mix. Yeah, I mean, these are two characters who are highly. Um, just like molded by his influence. Like you have Walt who married a French woman. Mm-hmm. And later on we get Travis talking about his dad and how he had this like idea of like what a fancy woman was. Right. So, uh, yeah, this is great. So like there's a scene where they're, uh, Travis and Walt are in the car together. Yeah. Right. And is it Travis who's telling the story about, um, uh, his dad, like, Introducing his wife, their mom, yeah, and being like, and he'd wait. I met her in Paris. <laughs> Pause, Texas. Yeah, you know, to get a laugh or whatever. But part of it was like he he liked the idea of her being. Like he started believing exotic. Yeah, you know, fancy lady from across. Yeah, the and I think yeah. I think it's a lot of it is about these two characters buying yeah. into those. Those representations of what things mean. Yeah. And then, so that scene, we, we were talking about the scene um, where Travis gets drunk and he's on the couch and yeah. he's talking about, he's talking about his mom yeah. and he's like, oh, she was just, she was just very plain. And I think he even mentions that he thinks that his dad resented her for that, that she was plain. Yeah. Um, cause Travis but, is curious cause, cause our, uh, Hunter's curious what, he, uh, what Travis means when he says fancy woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, Travis says, I, "I wouldn't bring a fancy woman here." Right. Yeah. Right. Um. Let's play that. My mother. Not your mother. But my mother. Was not a fancy woman. She was. She never wanted to be a fancy woman. She never even pretended to be a fancy woman. Then what was she? She was just plain. Just plain good. She was very good. But my daddy... See, my daddy... uh, He had this idea. He, He had this idea in his head that was kind of kind of a sickness what idea he had this idea about her and 
he looked at her, but he didn't see her. He, he saw this idea. And he told people that she was from Paris. It's a big joke. But he started telling everybody all the time. Finally, it wasn't a joke anymore. He's, he started believing it. So he's talking about representations of things and what they mean. And the fact that being from Paris to his father was supposed to mean something. Mm-hmm. And you see how Walt buys into this by marrying a French woman. And he's never even been to France. Yeah. They discuss this in the car. He says, have you ever been to France? He's like, no, I've never been. But you know that my wife is from there, you know? I never connected those dots <laughs> until you mentioned it. That like, you know, like this thing that's, you know, like looming in this family. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, the, the anecdote of like, hey, I met her in Paris. Yeah. Texas. Yeah. Um. And Walt ending up marrying a French woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's about the influence of their father. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the main problem here. I, um, Travis has this idea of his, what his relationship was. Mm-hmm. It's a, romanticize, a romanticization. Yeah. And he needs to get past that. Right, right. That's like the main conflict with this character is that he needs to get past this idea of what his relationship was. He wants it desperately back. Like he's not interested. Like most of the movie, he's not interested in getting his son back. He's interested in getting Jane back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until a certain point, point. and so like at the so at the end, um, I feel good about the ending. Do you? Like I feel good about it because what like what you're saying is like he needs to get past that like idea or whatever. And I think yeah. he does. I think he does. I think he realizes no, yeah, that most like, certainly. like, I think he realizes that he tore this mother son relationship apart Yeah, and he can fix it. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that like, he's going to be a part of it or, or whatever, you know, like maybe like the best he can do is like, he can put them together again. Yeah. And I think and, that's all he's useful for. Cause yeah. I think really like, it's his, it's his flightiness. Um, he, he, I think he wants to be anonymous. He wants to be unknown. Another thing is like the vastness of America and getting lost in that. Yeah. Um, did you notice what this, and I'm jumping around. Sorry. Like, it's okay. Did you notice at the beginning of the movie when he comes in and he's looking for water, he comes into the bar. Yeah. What it says on the sign. Oh, what is it exactly? The dust has come to stay. You may stay or pass on through or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, it's like the dust is here. Like, you can be here too, but you can leave if you want. You know, it's like, yeah. that's, I think, a summation, a summation of what you said about Travis. Like, he wants to be anonymous. He wants to be a drifter. He yeah. Be, I, I, yeah. I, and I think that's like part of his problem is mm-hmm. that he's romanticized in the head, you know, like in his head. Like, um, when he trades his, his new boots for old boots, um, mm. the fact that Walt Smoot's, cigarettes constantly like probably like his fulfillment of this dream about like the marble man being a cowboy right like these guys have bought into these ideas like so badly that they've ruined their lives over it you know yeah and they're pursuing it differently yeah because like walt's very much like he's the straight man right like he's like he is a straight man yeah yeah and he he, but he's still kind of got the same ideas yeah not only has he bought into like fathers his idea has or (laughs) ideas his father has instilled in him but also just like ideas in general about what your life is supposed to be 
um, you know, like this, like uh, idea of this, like nuclear family, and you know, and and um, his wife is like so afraid of losing Hunter because they have like this down so perfectly. She's like, do do you, have you thought about what it would you know what it means to us to lose Hunter? You know, because mm. like they have this thing nailed down, like they have this whole complete family. Yeah, and and Walt is only he's kind of interested in those things. Like when Travis shows him this picture of Paris, Texas. He's not really interested in, in what he has to say about it. But as soon as Travis says, I bought it, like I bought this land, he's like, oh, let me see that again. Like, oh, yeah. 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 So, you, you know, it's like it's like these little like tells. Now that, it's important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you own something? Like, right, right. now I'm interested. Tell me more about this. Right. And it's these little tells that they bought into this, or, or at least Walt has bought into this idea about this nuclear family. And... And Travis is bought into like this idea about being a cowboy and like on the run and anonymous. And, um, and he had like this really toxic relationship that was just like so destructive and it had to like go up in flames almost quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That, that, you know, it took him that much to like understand what that meant or, you know, to have a child. Like it, I don't think it like fully dawns on him. Like the implications of this are like the responsibility yeah, and, and, and it's about the journey of like unpacking all these lies that he's been told. Right. And um, that like, and when it goes up in flames, like he's like, he's broken down to like the bare bones. Yeah. You know, he's wandering around mute in the desert for four years. Yeah. 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 And then when Walt finds him, it's not like he comes right back. Mm-hmm. He's, he's kind of infantile, you know, like this, the scene when they're rent. They're trying to get another car rental because mm-hmm. he's afraid to fly. You know, like you know, he's he's just like he can't get over that fe- fear of flying. Yeah. Um. And then they need to get a car. It's because they're going to drive from Texas to California. Yeah. And he needs to have that same car. You know, he's like, we, we, how are you, <laughs> we can't just jump in a new car. Jump in a new car. You know, it's like that's kind of something you'd expect a kid to say. You yeah. Know? Like, um. So it's like once Walt finds him and brings him back, like he's starting to like develop into a. Mature, yeah, mature human being again. Yeah, and he's compared to Hunter in a few occasions where like they're both like nervously shaking their legs under the table. Yeah, or they don't want to watch the film of like the vacation. They're like, oh no, yeah. like I don't want to really see that. And that's kind of when um oh, and when uh, he dresses up like a father, you know, like uh, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's like, like, what does a father look exactly? Like? And, and the maid helps him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More about like that representation of what these things mean. You yeah. know, you put on these clothes and it means something. Right. Like you walk a certain way and it means something. And it's kind of like a caricatured version of a father. You yeah, know? like yeah. What, what a father really wears. Yeah. something like that. And I love that, that scene. I suit. love that scene. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you got to get your chin up, and you know, he's like a yeah. little higher than that, and he. I, I really love that scene and it's cause he's obsessed with like what things are supposed to mean, you know, and not mm. what they are. And I, and I think uh, something that you might overlook, but also speaks to this is, uh, is there's this shot of a neon sign of running horses and the, the neon kind of, it gives the impression that the horses are running. You know how like neon signs that move yeah. that do. Uh-huh. And that's just like a perfect encapsulation. It's like, we get the impression that something is happening. We get the impression of what something is, but that's not the actual thing we're looking at. You know, yeah. Yeah. like Travis has not actually been looking at this relationship. He doesn't miss this woman. He misses the idea of this relationship that he had. And the fact that he's older and had this like really beautiful woman. And I think that's why it's important that Natasha Kinski is like, just devastatingly yeah, beautiful, you know, she's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And like so much it hurts. Like it would hurt anyone, you know, yeah. <laughs> like as soon as he walks into that booth and you see her like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's like, like talk about her performance for like a second. Like, 
uh, that Legend, second, yeah, iconic. That second time uh, when Travis comes back, you yeah. know, and he's kind of resolved, you know, he's he's left his message on the tape recorder. Yeah, and he's resolved to um, put them back together. Yeah, and uh, when so the camera is on her face. Yeah, the whole time he's telling the story, and it's like a soundboard for the this story, and mm-hmm. she like is reliving it. You know, like while he's narrating it, yeah, and uh, like it's it's a great great performance. Yeah, like she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And another thing about that scene is the the booth, the like the booth that she's in. It's like a fake representation mm-hmm. of something. Yeah, like she the in the second scene. I forgot the first one. I think the first one might be like a bedroom or something, but the second one is like a restaurant, and there's like a fake menu on the wall or something right. like that. It's like a, a, another idea, like oh, it's like this like fake little space is supposed to represent something. You know. Yeah, the uh, first one is some kind of hotel or something. Yeah, yeah. she has a TV. She, she has, has a red TV phone in the background, in the corner, like you see in those old hotels. Yeah, and that that scene is like communicating so much about like this, like kind of like a, a false life that they had built around this relationship, and and, and so yeah, and the second one is kind of like a diner or something. Yeah, it's a diner and has there's a fake menu on the wall and with like prices and everything. Yeah, and it's it, that's like that whole scene is like an encapsulation of the re- relationship. Like she's looking at a mirror and she only sees herself. Like this man's not listening, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's only until he, he turns off the light and like they where they can see each other that she's finally getting through to him. And um, oh yeah, and you were right by the way. It's the second time he can't. He doesn't look at her. Yeah, yeah, cause, yeah. And which is so like fucking devastating. Like he yeah. can't even look at her because he knows if he looks like. Yeah, he's in like right, he, right. He, he, there's he no, might he might have that same outburst. There's no know, way. Like, do you meet these guys? Yeah, outside of work? there's that, and yeah. like he, there's no way he's gonna walk away from this girl. Like if, yeah, if he has like like she would any just chance or whatever. She if just needs to ask. Like you get the yeah. idea that she just needs to ask. Like please stay, and he would be like yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah for sure. Um, let's listen to that last um, message that he leaves. Is, is that the tape recorder scene? Yeah, the tape yeah. recorder scene, which is well, you'll hear. like this ending <laughs> yeah I, I like it because like this is the first time he acts like the hero but does know? he i think i think so you I know mean, like because d- despite his realizations like ultimately he's, he's still walking away yeah he's walking away yeah yeah but, you know maybe i don't know maybe the presumption is that like there's no way it could possibly work with all three of them together but maybe yeah. maybe i can put him back together with his mom. Yeah. It should be, that's ultimately, like, you know. I think his understanding is that it's not going to work with them. Um, yeah. Anything he thinks about the relationship is false. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it couldn't work between them. And I think, I mean, as far as casting, that's where that works. Like their, their age difference. Like obviously this doesn't make sense. 
like this woman has like so many years left in her. Yeah. She's fucking gorgeous. And this man is run down. Like, yeah. Yeah. He, he says like, do you recognize me? She's like, Oh, Travis. Like that's her <laughs> right. response. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, it makes you wonder like what she's seeing him, you know, like how did they get together in the first place? I mean, it, I think that it's like, he was like a cowboy and yeah. like, maybe he had some like, did I think mentioned that a little bit. Like I was just kind of like there, he's narrating in the third person, like yeah. the relationship. And, and you know, it's like, um, these, these two got together. She's quite a bit younger. He's quite a bit older. Um, he was kind of just a drifter. He was running around. He was kind of mangy, you know? Yeah. Um, so maybe that was, maybe that I was I mean, it. and they had fun together. He says that like, um, Oh yeah. Everything yeah. was they like an like adventure. Deeply in love. Yeah, yeah. But that's like such a fleeting thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, it speaks to that. Like the, I think it speaks to the, to um, just like the nature of relationships in general, and which, yeah. which makes this such a, like a painful breakup. Movie. Right? No, uh, yeah, it's that that like intense love, you know, like that like burns really intensely. Yeah, it's um, it's fleeting, and it's and it's especially painful when it's gone. You know? Yeah, because like there are some relationships that like if you didn't feel strongly about it, you can give it. Yeah, you, you can take it or leave it. You can take it or leave it, <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't hurt when it's over. It's yeah, like okay, it's kind of a relief actually. Yeah. Um, but that one, but some just burn so powerfully. So powerfully. Remember, yeah. yeah. Um, um, John K. Sampson has this line. He's from the weaker thens. And he says, uh, your body still remembers things that you told it to forget how those furious affections follow you. And mm. I'm like, that's absolutely true. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, it's just about, it's like you wish you could forget it. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that is, you can't, you just can't trust that. Yeah. I don't think that's like, um, I don't think that's any kind of like indication of anything that's going to, going to last. I don't want to give relationship advice or anything, (laughs) but I mean, we've all been through that. We've all been in like these fiery relationships that you think mean something right? right. because of the feeling, you know? And I think Travis is very much caught in that feeling and he has to get rid of this idea that. Yeah. It's kind of an addiction, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, you're just, your brain's flooded with dopamine and yeah. oxytocin yeah and like he says about his dad it, it was a, kind of a sickness yeah. it's kind yeah. of a sickness that you see these things that aren't there um it might feel like they're there but they're not you know and and in a way i think that's like this movie might be addressing nostalgia in that sense like as far as like nostalgia nostalgia means that you're like you, you feel something you know like maybe it's not accurate but like you, you have this feeling that you miss something yeah but and, and that's why I say like maybe this movie isn't about nostalgia exactly, but it's about representations of things, and it's about how representations of things aren't the things. And, I mean, it, it's it's false, and I think that's where the advertising plays in. Like when we see Walt standing in front of that like that facade in the beginning, you know, um, and he's an ad man, you know, it, it's just like all about this falseness and, uh commercialization like yeah when they're standing there on the billboard the billboard's being put together you know right yeah yeah Yeah, oh man you've got so many good observations about walt that i didn't even really think about but yeah yeah, like the the marlboro's yeah uh, advertisement you know he's um yeah the billboards yeah they're like putting this together and like he this this is the point where he like decides to go chaser because he wants to be with her like yeah. they're, they're literally putting together like this billboard in the in the background like this false image you know mm-hmm. and it's just like so giant and screaming at him that he can't he can't ignore this feeling that he has that he needs this in his life that he's missing something you know yeah and um i mean that connects to advertising like 
I, I don't know if that's speaking to like a particularly American experience, but it's speaking to the experience of, of, of missing this representation of something in your mind. Um, I wanted to a note, a note on the uh, tape recorder scene. Yeah. Um, he can't look at either Jane or Hunter in the face when he's doing these things. Yeah. And so like, that's another motif of this movie. Yeah. Like, um, he, he can't tell Hunter this. He has to record it on a tape. Yeah. He can't tell Jane what he's, you know, like all this stuff and try to, I don't know, reconcile to some, to some degree and, and then get Hunter and, and Jane back together. Yeah. He can't do that and look at her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, and I'm, there's glass between them. Like, right. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, no, I, I just like want to kind of observe that, that it's like, I kind of think it's a heroic thing he's doing. It, he's, he's sacrifice, he's self-sacrificing in that moment where he's doing this. Um, yeah. But he's also protecting himself. Yeah. He's also protecting himself. It's, I don't know. Is it cowardly? It might be a little cowardly. I think in a sense, I yeah. think it could be seen as that, especially since he takes, hunter out of a home where he was probably doing fine yeah he was doing fine yeah, yeah. you know and to he doesn't know like like although it right. seems like a romantic thing like we as an audience we have to struggle with this thing like is this woman jane like his mother like is this like the best place right right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah yeah it's like even we fall for it as an audience i think uh, like yeah. like That's i was like point. absolutely yeah. her she's the one right right <laughs> like yeah give her everything yeah. like i think even like as an audience we fall for this you know mm. cuz like i like yeah for a second like oh i feel okay about that yeah of course she's supposed to be with her but honestly like how much how much of it is that he like was in a stable situation? Yeah, he yeah. wasn't. How much of it is that she's just like fucking gorgeous? Like, right. how much of it is playing on like the audience audience's emotions? You know, mm-hmm. like we're also buying into this thing, and I think that's what's like so clever about this movie. That's like yeah. that's something that's built in is that they use this woman. I think it's like very purposely this woman because I mean she she's like great. Like this the scene with her is like iconic. You know, I've yeah. seen this on so many like tumblers and whatever. Her in that pink sweater, her in that black sweater. As an audience, we might feel okay with this, but I think under deeper deeper inspection like it's just like what the fuck did you just do yeah <laughs> all right you convinced me I think it is a bona fide masterpiece oh yeah for sure yeah. it's a masterpiece bona fide <laughs> um i don't really have any outliers for this like to me uh, it's like per- this thing is like pretty trim like fat free yeah yeah is there anything that you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about yet um there's a couple of scenes where i recognize parts of uh the high desert um like Kramer Junction, I remember uh, recognizing Kramer Junctions out at Highway Fifty Eight yeah. by Boron. Um, you know, place a uh, not too far from where I grew up. Yeah, well, yeah. you're a man of the desert, so you would recognize yeah. that. Yeah. Me, it was just like this is all the same. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I recognized. It. I was like, I think that's Kramer Junction. Junction. Which uh, which scene? Um, I think it's 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 Walt and and Travis driving back. Yeah, um, and yeah, they just get to this intersection that is. It's so familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as far as like um, the, like the locations in the backdrop, uh, something I kind of noticed in the first couple of minutes is that um, when Travis is wandering through the desert, there's this like shot of him. It's like close up. And in the background, there's this huge stone phallus. 
<laughs> like it just like you, you can't ignore it. It's just like this tall Man, rock. And it's, easier you're just seeing dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's like going to show like it, like the stubborn stubbornness of this man. You know, like yeah. the situation that he's in. Like he got himself in this situation, and I, I, like this is what I take it as is like it's just like huge stone fellas like hanging over his shoulder, and he needs to get over in this stubbornness. And this is like mm. in the first few minutes of, yeah. of the movie, like he's standing there wandering around in his suit because who knows what that means to him like he's just yeah. like trying to look good but like if you if you look it's like this shot that's perfectly framed and over his shoulder is just like this huge uh, stone and that's early on right the first five ten minutes yeah, yeah. five minutes for yeah. sure like i think it's one of the first shots and and he's just like looking around and it's like i i it has to be phallic like yeah it has to be you like know what? that's like that's interesting that's that's probably vendors like Let's plant that in there. Yeah, that's that's what I got from it. Yeah. That, is that like this is a man that's just like unmoving in his stubbornness, mm-hmm. and it's like it's because like he has this masculine idea of what he's supposed to be, and that has fucked up his relationship, and now he's wandering the desert. You know, mm-hmm. like you fucked up your own life. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what this movie is like getting at. Like you, you, you kind of empathize with him for most of it, but then I don't know. In the end, like he just fucked up his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was all his. Not all his fault. Like, it was probably a toxic relationship, but he played into this. Like, he was, like, this jealous maniac. He was probably a drunk. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you get a glimpse of it. Like, the the first call, when he starts to get jealous. Yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah, exactly. You can see it happening already. And even this interaction where she doesn't know it's him, like, you can see kind of, like, this tension brewing between them. Yeah. And and she was... Because she's had this interaction before. You know, like, this is the preamble to, like, some... Exactly, Rage. exactly. And they yeah. just kind of push each other's buttons and this is why it's never going to work. Mm. Like a fantasy, mm-hmm. a falseness, a farceness. Um, yeah, that's um, ultimately what I think this is about. Another uh, stray observation. At the at the end of the movie when uh, Jane picks up Hunter on her left hand, you, you notice a wedding ring? She's wearing a wedding ring. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what it means. That's crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's wearing a ring. Like um, maybe maybe Travis's ring still. Oh, that could be it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she doesn't, she seems like she misses him. Yeah, yeah, especially that, that's the end of that second call. Yeah. Where, you know, he's resolved to not see her again. Yeah. And she doesn't want him to go. Uh, but part of that, too, is like, so that she can tell her side of things. Because to this point, like, she has not gotten the chance to tell her side. Yeah. And so. So you have to get it quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, that might be part of it is like, Hey, don't walk out of here before I tell you like what the last four years have been like for me. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I, I I think that's why that scene is like set up so well. Like if you, when you get the opposite angle of her looking at him through the glass, you get like this exposed insulation, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this wasn't ideal. This is what I see. Like there's this rawness to you. Yeah. He sees the ideal. Yeah. She sees the guts. Yeah, exactly. She sees the, yeah. And and you get Reality. you get all this exposition like so quickly in this scene, and I I, I think like in in previous research because I've looked up things about this movie, but I think that that last story that he tells that monologue about the relationship was written like day before or something like Sam Shepard didn't have that yet, mm-hmm. and he just like wrote that and it's it's like a it's like a I think it's like a ten minute scene or something like that yeah, um, which I think is incredible, but yeah, it's just like so succinct succinctly like told with visuals and story you know and you get her side of the story immediately and you're just like oh 
like, I, I just suffered along with this guy and he yeah. was the one. <laughs> right. He was the dick. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> uh, but no, I kind of like, I kind of like how it was portrayed, you know, because you, um, uh, you feel for him immediately, you know, yeah. like throughout, I mean, you're, you're going with him like the first hour and a half yeah. and, and then the first glimpse that you get that he was, you know, kind of a piece of shit in the, in the relationship was that first call. Yeah. Like when he get when the jealousy get bubbles up. Yeah. And then he, get, and then he takes Hunter to the bar and he gets drunk and um, it's like, Oh yeah, he was, he was not so great. Yeah. But and- yeah. And, and that's when we get that, you know, explanation about the father. And that's why I was it's like, oh, well, I mean, you do feel for him. I mean, especially in the end when he, he, there's that shot of him driving away. Mm. It's just the back of his head. And there's like all these like vibrant red colors. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's painful, you know, like driving away from this life. And yeah, you do empathize. But ultimately, like, I mean, this this he wasn't he wasn't a good man right <laughs> but maybe yeah. i mean like maybe maybe he has like some redeeming qualities but i don't think he was good in this relationship yeah yeah i mean who's to say who's to say <laughs> anything We're else complicated yeah um do i have anything else to say oh yeah um i was gonna do a, a little like uh where is that thing what do you got hold on a second did i move it oh it fell um Film Slob's recommended reading. Oh, one. Yeah, okay. Um, Sam Shepard's family trilogy. Yeah, his family gotta, tri- trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Barry, Barry Child, True West, The Struggle, or The Curse of the struggle, Struggling Class, I believe it's called. So check those out. Yo. All great. I reread them to do this. Um, I'd recommend them. During the pandemic, yeah. I uh, wanted to support a pretty cool bookstore up in LA, the last bookstore. You, you know it. Yeah. Uh, we went, we saw the Vonna Guys podcast. Yeah. Remember? Which was great. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to support them. They, do, they did book bundles where you fill out a questionnaire of like your interests in books. And then they, based on that, they curate something. They put like five together, five books Very together cool. yeah. and mail it to you. You don't know what they are. Uh, but one of the books I got was Spy of the First Person by Sam Shepard. <laughs> um, and uh, it's very interesting. I I didn't, to be honest, I didn't know who Sam Shepard was before before this. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know why they sent me this book. But um, I read it. And um, this is the last book he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, he was dying of ALS. Mm, yeah. And uh, basically the book is about a guy who is spying on somebody mm-hmm. from across the street mm-hmm. with binoculars. Yeah. And the guy across the street is a guy who's debilitated by some disease. Mm. It's not told specifically what it is, but he doesn't have the use of his arms. Like the guy is like having to use his knees to like push his hands up towards his mouth to eat and stuff like that. Yeah. And like he'll still read and stuff like that. But in order to turn the page, he'll like stand up. And use his feet to turn the page, and then it'll sit back down. Wow! But this is Sam Shepard in the final days of his life, um, from the third person observing, you know, Sam Shepard and trying to make it's sense about of things. Being a stranger to yourself. Yeah, being a stranger to yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, recommended reading for whoever's listening. Spy of the First Person by Sam Shepard. And, you know, I think the reason why they put this book bundle in is because I probably put down that Cormac McCarthy is one of my favorite authors. Yeah, I yeah. think there's 
a lot of overlap between them. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. That is our inaugural trilogy. We can't wait to see you next time. I'm going to leave you with that last bit where Travis is talking to Jane and he tells, I mean, he tells the story of, of their life. Sounds good. They were in love with each other. The girl was very young, about 17 or 18, I guess. And the guy was quite a bit older. And he was kind of raggedy and wild. And she was very beautiful, you know? Yeah. And together they turned everything into a kind of an adventure. And she liked that. Just an ordinary trip down to the grocery store was full of adventure. They were always laughing at stupid things. He liked to make her laugh. And they didn't much care for anything else uh, because all they wanted to do was be with each other. They were always together. Sounds like they were very happy. Yes, they were. They were real happy. That was our conversation about Paris, Texas. We're really excited about that one. Thank you for listening. The voices you heard today was myself, C.R. Gonzalez, and my friend Patrick Kelly. Today's episode, I screwed up the name of Sam Shepard's play twice in this episode. The actual title is The Curse of the Starving Class, not whatever the hell I said. These are the growing pains of a podcast in its early days. Please follow us on Instagram. Just type in Film Slobbery. That's F-I-L-M-S-L-O-B-B-E-R-Y. Please subscribe and rate us on our show page wherever you listen. Feel free to share encouragement and disappointment, whatever you think we should do next. I couldn't tell you what we're about to talk about next week, but I'll definitely let you know on Instagram. Music for the show is done by Randy Flores. It's what you're listening to right now. Go ahead and enjoy it. We'll see you next time.